God, God, we love you so much. And we look forward to this time every single week where we get to dive into your word and we get to hear from you. God, I just pray this morning, as I do every week, that you would speak through me. God, the words that come out of my mouth would be your words and not just my words, God, but they would be your words for your people on your day. God, I just, I just pray that you would, you would use my voice today, what little I have left. Would you just speak your word? Will we leave this space knowing that we have met with the one true God? God, we love you. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I'm excited to begin this brand new series with you guys this morning. Uh, you know, we are going to start a series in the book of Ephesians. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but all year long, we've really been looking at Scripture very intentionally. Uh, you know, we, we, our Grow initiative way back in January, we're all about Connect, Grow, Serve. And so the second Sunday of the year, when we talked about growing, we talked about being a people who learn and follow Scripture both personally and in community. Uh, you know, we've been doing that personally. That was way back when we were still meeting all online, uh, you know, talking about that. It was looking like this year would be mostly a learning and following scripture personally kind of year. Uh, but I am so glad that we've been able to do this communally as well as we've been just diving into scripture. You know, it's led us all over scripture so far. We've we spent about 15 weeks at the beginning of the year uh, leading up into the summer talking about our Word of God series Really looking at kind of broad strokes, what Scripture is all about, some of the major themes and pieces that we see in Scripture, uh, and moved from there at the beginning of summer into the Psalms and open them up to see the depth of meaning that is there. We begin to ask questions of Psalms that we don't always ask of Psalms, right? Uh, the extra that is tossed into Scripture, it feels like sometimes. But we're going to move into the New Testament for a little bit in the book of Ephesians. And so uh, I don't think we're going to go too fast through it, but we're also not going to go too slow through it. Uh, and so uh, we're just going to, again, look at some of the questions that we can ask in Scripture and look at the context of these pages and, and really what is, in this case, Paul trying to say to us through this book. So, if you have your Bibles, and uh, I, I hope that you do have your Bibles with you, uh, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. This is where we're going to be kind of camping out over the next, uh, I don't even know how many weeks, but we're going to be here for a little bit still. Uh, <laughs> and so, we're going to be in Ephesians for a while, uh, and if you would open up there, uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you want to use one of ours, uh, that is on page 1006. Uh, and side note, if you don't have a Bible, uh, just take one of ours, it's yours. Uh, I just, I'd rather you be in it. And so, uh, um, so that's where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context. Ephesians, as we see really early on, actually the very first word of Ephesians, Paul, uh, we see that Paul is the one who wrote the book of Ephesians. Paul uh, probably wrote this book uh, in like 60 to 62 AD, and he wrote it while he was in prison in Rome. Uh, you can read about that imprisonment in the book of Acts. Uh, but this is what, when he wrote it, and uh, he wrote it to Ephesus, to a church in Ephesus. Uh, but in many of the early manuscripts, the word Ephesus is not there. Uh, so what, we, what scholars tell us is that this is probably a letter that was sent first to Ephesus, but was meant to make the rounds. Right, this, was, this, was a, this was a letter that was meant to make the, the rounds to the churches that were in and around Ephesus. 
And so this is what we have here. We have this letter to, uh, to this church and to really these churches. And what we have here, really just, I'll give you just a kind of a, a warning here, or maybe not a warning, just a kind of a preamble here. Uh, really the first half of Ephesians, the first three chapters, are more theological than practical. Right? Paul really just talks about kind of, this is what we believe. And the last three chapters of Ephesians really are more practical than theological. If this is what we believe, then this is what this means. Right? And so, so this is kind of how we're going to go at this book as well. We're going to talk for the first few weeks here about just kind of what Paul says we should believe. What is this right belief? And then as we continue on, we'll get a little more practical as Paul does. But we're going uh, to just kind of flesh this out, flesh out what Paul says. But like I said, we're just going to take the scripture as it comes, beginning this week with chapter 1. And so if you want to go there with me, we're actually going to do the whole chapter, chapter 1 this morning. I'll read it, and then we'll dive in. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So, you read this, and your first thought is, that's a lot. 
<laughs> there is a lot that is there, and it would be easy for me to spend like three weeks just in chapter one, uh, but I think if we did that, we'd be here till Christmas going through everything here that Paul has to say in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take this whole chapter and try and kind of dissect it. And what we're going to do is we're going to use the last two verses, verse 22 and 23, as kind of a guidepost for us as we understand what God is saying here through what Paul is saying here. Well, what God is saying through Paul uh, in, this, in this chapter here. Uh, and I want you to just listen to these two verses again. And God placed all things under his feet. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I think these two verses here help us understand a little bit of what Paul has been saying already in, in chapter 1. Uh, and, and I think it will help us actually understand where he's going to be going as well. So here's, I think, within these short two verses... I think there are three reminders for us that we will see fleshed out in Ephesians 1. The first one is this, is as the church, we comprise the body of Christ. As the church, we comprise the body of Christ. Just, just hear that piece again. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Now, this imagery of the body is all over Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 2, we'll, we'll obviously get to all of these, but Ephesians chapter 2, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Chapter 3, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 4.11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 4.16, for him, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. 425, we are all members of one body. 425, we are all members of one body. 530, for we are all members, for we are members of his body. And just in case you're wondering, this is not just an Ephesians thing. This is a New Testament thing, and, and Paul just highlights it all over the place. In Colossians 1, says he is the head, he's talking about Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So I could keep going and going and going about how we are the body of Christ. We comprise the body of Christ. And Paul is pretty clear here in Ephesians that this is the church's role. The church is the body of Christ. However, somewhere along the way, I think that we have missed this. And I don't think that we've done it purposefully. I don't think we have purposefully kind of neglected this. And I think, in fact, all of us, as we talk about the church, we would say we are the body of Christ. But I think the church, especially in our society, has become really one of two things. The church has become either a building or an institution. And not just the body of Christ. 
Now, again, I'm not saying we've purposely done this, but this is kind of where we are. And I want us to think about what, what are the outcomes of these two things if the church is a building and if the church is an institution. Because if the church is a building, it's, um, I, we, we talk about this, I'm going to church this morning. Where do you go to church? Uh, we ask these questions, and, and what this looks like is that the church is a building. And if the church is a building, if it's just a place where we go, if we worship at the church, it's about going to a certain place. If the church is a building, it means that we are just consumers. That we're just consumers. The church becomes kind of a vendor for religious goods and services. And we go and we pick out what works best for us. Uh, this church over here, they have this and they have this. And we just go and we, we consume church. We look for the churches with the most to offer. The churches that, that closely, closest, that fit our preferences. And sometimes we walk away and we say, oh man, that was great. The music was great. Pastor was really good today. And there are other days where we walk out of church and we're just like, I wasn't feeling it today. I didn't really like those songs that we sung. The pastor didn't really bring his A game today, right? And we leave and it's almost like we're disappointed as we leave because we are just consumers of church. This, this is not the way it was meant to be. If the church is just a building, then we are just consumers. Think about this. If the church is an institution, what does that mean for us? If the church is just an institution, then what we are doing, we are just competitors. We're competing with other churches. Who can have the biggest crowd? Who can have the, the better online presence who can who can have the best music the best kids program the best teens program who can have the best stuff and we begin to compete with other churches around us and the goal of the church at this point becomes growth at the cost of all these other churches instead of what can we do for the community that's directly surrounding us see the church as an institution just means we try to be better than other churches. And what happens when we try to be better than other churches? We're trying to get the people from those other churches to come to this church. That's not the way we want to grow. Right, this is not the church. This is not what the church was meant to be. We're not meant to be a building. The church is not meant to be an institution. That's not the picture of in the New Testament church. The New Testament church is a community of faith that comes together, that worships Christ, and that chases his mission together. Amen. I had a meeting this week with some pastors from the area. Uh, the Mountain View Sunnyside, just, I could probably hit a golf ball there this morning. You know what they're doing this morning? They're worshiping just like we are. The they're on the same team we are. The they're part of our body. Adventure Church that meets at Fancher Creek. I was talking about their pastor this morning, not this morning, but this week. You know what they're doing this morning? They're worshiping God. Same God we are. They're talking through Scripture. They're on the same team we are. We're not competing. We're not competing against them. And <laughs> they don't even have a building, so they can't even say that, right? Like The church is not a building. It is not a place, and it is definitely not an institution. It can't be either one of those things. We have to be a community of faith that come together to worship Christ and chase the mission together. But here's the thing. Even in Ephesians chapter 1, I think what we see here is there is a lot of division in the church. I want you to just, just notice with me the language that Paul uses here. Let's just read verse 
verses 3 through 12. All right, there, there is, there's a lot of division here, and I'll just give you a little background of what this division is. There are Jews and there are Gentiles during this time. There is a lot of division as to maybe different classes of Christians. We were here first, <laughs> right? You came after. You're not quite as good. You don't quite have the same place that we do in the family of God. I want you to just, just listen to what Paul says here. And I want you to hear these, these words. Think of the, the plural language that Paul uses here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and, under the earth, and, uh, and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen." having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Now, there's a lot that's happening here, right? You hear these words of adoption and predestined, and there's a lot of debates on whether or not, like, what, are, what is Paul trying to say here? Well, I, those debates I don't think really matter here when you look at the big picture. What, what, who is Paul talking here to here? He is talking to... His people. How do I know that? Because look at the next word in verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Here's what he's saying. Paul a Jewish person is saying, look, we were chosen. We were predestined. We were God's people. Now so are you. Now so are you. All right, he, he's, he's really including here, you are now a part of this thing. He's saying, coming in saying, look, together, we are one body under Christ. We are not two different bodies. We are one body. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. And you might be saying, well, thanks for the history lesson, Pastor. How, what does that have to do with us today? Well, I just want to say this. There are no second-class Christians in the body of Christ. None. We are the body of Christ. And we are one in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter how long you have been a Christian how you came to faith. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past or when you did it in your past. If you have said yes to Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ and you are just as much a part of the body of Christ as anybody else in this room. Amen. Anybody else at Mountain View Sunnyside or at Adventure Church, you are the body of Christ. We are the body. Now, this should 
<laughs> change our perspective of what the church is about. The church is not a building. It is not an institution. We are not consumers of the church. Amen. And we are not competitors as the church. Amen. We are one body. Amen. There is not Jesus the Nazarene head and Jesus the Baptist head and Jesus the Presbyterian head over all of these different bodies of Christ. No. We are one body of Christ. That is who we are. Now, as the church, we comprise the body of Christ. Here's the great thing. As the body of Christ, here's the second thing we get from this passage, is that we possess the authority of Christ. As the body of Christ, we possess the authority of Christ. Let's keep reading here. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he begins to tell us what he's praying for. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incompatibly, incomparably, incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, what about this power, Paul? Well, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That power. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As the body of Christ, we possess the authority of Christ. And, and I think as we follow Paul here, here's what he's saying. Look, Christ has all the power. Christ has all the power. He is far above all the rule, all the authority, all the power, all the dominion. Then in this last verse, he says, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Fills everything in every way. Christ has all the power. And he really gives us a list. Look, look at his resurrection. If you're wondering about his power, look at his resurrection. Look at his ascension. Look at his authority. Look at his dominion. Look at his title over every other ruler. Think about it. There's not one thing that's happening today that Jesus does not have the power over. That's the truth this morning. Jesus has all the power. But listen to this next thing. The church has the fullness of Christ. Amen. Jesus has all the power. The church has the fullness of Christ. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him. That's what Paul says here. He says, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The original words there mean that we are filled by him and we are filled completely by him. The church has everything that Christ has. The fullness of Christ is in the church. Now I want you to put these two things together. Christ has all the power and we have all of Christ. That means the church has all the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Paul actually reiterates this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, so then... No more boasting about human leaders. <laughs> All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death of the present nor the, or the future. All are yours. 
and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Here's the great truth for you this morning. When we unite our lives with Christ, we make the greatest trade ever known to man. We trade everything that we are, our everything that we are, the best of us and the worst of us, for everything that Christ is. And there's not a worst case there, right? We trade everything that we are, our best and our worst, for everything that Christ is. It is an unbelievable truth, but it is just that. The question is actually this. Do we believe that we possess the authority, and will we live as if it's true? Amen. I can tell you this. The disciples, they believed it, and they lived it. You can read their story in the book of Acts. The early church, they believed that was true, and they lived like it was true. You can read that story in the book of Acts. The early church understood that they had the authority of Jesus Christ. It's why in the book of John, Jesus says, look, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be able to do things even greater than me. Because we will have the authority of Christ through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, this, is, this is an amazing truth. The, the, the people, I mean, you read the book of Acts, people were healed, lives were changed as the body of Christ moved among the people with the authority of Christ. So as the people of God, as the church, we have the authority of Christ. But here's, here's the last thing that I want us to see this morning. As the body of Christ, we also display the glory of Christ. As the body of Christ, we display the glory of Christ. Now, we have seen this all year in different parts of Scripture. Right? God's mission is to make his name great, that his name would be made known all throughout the world. We saw it in the Old Testament. We saw it in the New Testament in our Word of God series. We saw it in Psalm 67 not that long ago, that God's mission is to make his name great through us. Right? This, is, this is God's mission. And the question is, how? How is his name going to be made great throughout the entire world? And the answer is this. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Amen. All right, this, is, this is it. Read, listen to this passage again. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, did you catch that? The church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, the original language of the New Testament basically says, we are the means by which Christ fills everything in every way. We as the church are the how. If the glory of God is going to be made known to the world, he's going to do so through the church. That's how this whole thing is set up. All right. That don't miss this is why the church can't just be a building right these four walls don't reflect the glory of god Amen. that's why the church can't be an institution because our competitive nature does not display the glory of god what displays the glory of god is when the people of god the church the body of christ who is the fullness of him and fills everything goes out and is the church. Amen. That was one of the beautiful things about the pandemic. And yes, I said beautiful and pandemic in the same sentence. Is that the church was forced to leave the building. 
We had to go. And we had to live it out. Where do you go to church? <laughs> well, I'm on my computer right now. It doesn't seem quite like a building to go to, right? It doesn't quite seem like anything. Well, you know what happened was the church was the church. I can tell you at the beginning of the pandemic, the church was the church. I, I can remember just need coming into the church, and I think within like minutes, those needs were being filled by other people in the church. The church was being the church. I remember one, one of you called the church and was like, hey, my neighbor needs some baby formula. And we sent it out. Someone was at the store. It's like, I got you. Where can I deliver it? The church was the church. And you know what happens is the glory of God is made known as the church is the church. See, when we stop viewing the church as a building and we stop being consumers of church and when we stop looking at the church as institution and we stop trying to just compete with all the other churches around us and when we start just being the church the glory of God is made known in the whole world. This is how the whole thing was designed to be. I mean, God says this to the world. He says, look at the church and you will see my son. Look at the church and you will see my son. Now, I wrote that this week and it gave me goosebumps as I was writing it. Just imagining God saying to the world, look at the church and you will see my son. The reason it gave me goosebumps is because when I look at the church today, I don't always see the son. I see consumers and I see competitors and I don't necessarily see the glory of God made manifest in the people of God. But this is what Paul says the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be the people of God. And that's what he was encouraging in Ephesians chapter 1 here, the people, the church in Ephesus, to do. Look, yeah, we're all a part of this, he says. Yeah, we were predestined, we were adopted, but guess what? So are you. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would come to know the wisdom and understanding of God. I'm coming to, I pray that you would have the power of Christ, that the same, the very same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the very same power that, that took him up to heaven, the very same power. I pray that you would have that. Then he answered with this, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are the church. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And as the church, we are filled with him. We have the same authority that Jesus had, and we display his glory to the world. Amen. That is the role of the church. 
That is who we are. That is who we are. The question and the challenge is this. How do we live that out this week? (laughs) How do we do that? How do we go out and display the glory of God to the world? How do we change our mindset from seeing church as a building or seeing church as an institution? How do we, how do we move past those things and, and just understand and really claim and realize that we are the church? We are the church. Amen. How, do we, how do we do this? How do we claim this? How do we, how do we process this and move forward with the understanding that this church is not a building and it's not a, not a competitor? We're on the same team as churches all around the city and all around the country, all around the world today that are worshiping. We are one body with one head who is Christ. And we have his authority and we display his glory in the world. How do we do that this week? My prayer is that God would show you specific ways that you can move past those things if you need to and display his glory this week. Display the glory of God because you and I are the church. We're the church. Let's pray. God, God, we love you this morning and we just give you glory and praise and honor this morning. God, we are the church. We are your body. God, we have your authority. We display your glory. God, would you, would you forgive us this morning for the ways in which we have made church a building and something to consume? God, would you forgive us this morning for the ways we have made the church an institution and tried to compete? God, would we see the church for what it is? It is your people displaying your glory with your authority to make your name great around the world. How that starts here. Starts here in this space, but it moves out with us into our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, in our homes, wherever we may be, God, that we would make a difference for you, that we would display your glory. God, would you be with us this week as we go ahead? Would you show us some ways in which we can change and would you shape us to be the church that you are calling us to be. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me this morning? As we close, would you just, just receive this blessing from God? May our God, God of grace and power, may he encourage you this week as you go. May he encourage you to be the church. May he show you ways to be the church and display his glory. And as you do so, may you make a difference for him wherever you may find yourself. Go in grace and peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Thanks for coming this morning. Good day.